0: Hi, everyone, and welcome into the Monday edition of the Black and Blue Report presented by Seakeek. I'm Daniel Sowerson. And greetings north of the border here in Toronto, Ontario, as the Pelicans get set for a two game road trip that takes us first here to Toronto to take on the Raptors later on tonight. It feels like I've been on the road for every Monday, but next week, be back in Studio B uh, as we'll talk to JD, of course, on the Saints side. And then also, we'll get you ready for Pelicans Spurs next week. And it's a busy weekend in the Crescent City uh, for the Saints and Pelicans. Thursday and Friday, or Friday and Saturday, excuse me, Pelicans games against the Knicks and the Nuggets, then Saints-Eagles on Sunday, and then Pelicans-Spurs on Monday as we get you into Thanksgiving week. So it should be a busy week there at the Mercedes-Benz Superdome and the Smoothie King Center. Um, should be a lot of fun as well, especially considering how well the Saints are playing. How about that game yesterday? 51-14. to They've won eight in a row and have improved to 5-0 and on the road after really crushing the Bengals. They outscored them 35-7 to seven in the first half and didn't look back after that. Drew Brees passes Brett Favre for second place in the all-time touchdowns list. He had three of them on the night and 265 yards to go along with those three touchdowns. And rushing, Mark Ingram, 104 yards. Alvin Kamara, 56 yards. And then receiving-wise, look at the balance. Michael Thomas with 70 yards, two more touchdowns. Ingram with 58 yards and touchdown. Kamara with 46 yards. Kirkwood makes his debut, goes for 45 yards. So the balance was there for New Orleans, 244 yards uh, rushing, 265 yards in the air. So overall, a nice day for the Saints. And, of course, Thomas Morstead probably having the best day. No punts for him. He looked a little tired after the game during the postgame uh, locker room set up there as he looked asleep. Maybe he was just cruising and chilling since he really didn't have to do too much uh, last night. And we'll talk more about that with John The Shazer of OrleansSaints.com. Of course, he'll recap the game and the Saints. Man, they look like one of the best teams in the NFL right now. There's no denying that. After losing the first game to the Bucks, have been rolling ever since. And now they also have a new addition, as Sean Payton confirmed this morning that Brandon Marshall will join the Saints, a wide receiver who most recently played with the Seattle Seahawks. Of course, he's played for the Denver Broncos as well. Hasn't really had much play postseason action, so this might be the first opportunity for Marshall to make a Super Bowl run, so we'll talk to JD about that, and of course, we'll also talk some Pelicans with Jim Eichenhofer at Pelicans.com, who's on the road with me as usual, and we'll talk about this game against the Toronto Raptors, a team that is 12-1 on the season, the best record in the NBA, and speaking of cruising, they've been cruising as well, the addition of Kawhi Leonard from the San Antonio Spurs and Kyle Lowry, and one of the deepest teams in the league, it'll be a tough one tonight, and we'll talk to Jim about that. We'll talk about the injury report. Looks like Alfred Payne probably won't play again. Still nursing that right angle injury. And then Nikol Miritich, Alvin Gentry, said probable for tonight. Nico said he wants to go through more treatment throughout the afternoon to see how he feels, but it's looking like he'll play, and they'll certainly need him against a really tough Toronto Raptors team. And then the Pelicans will end the road trip against the Minnesota Timberwolves, a new-look Timberwolves team that will be without Jimmy Butler. So we'll talk about that with Jim Eichenhofer as well. So a lot to get to recapping a Saints win, previewing a Pelicans game against the Raptors tonight, and we'll do so starting with John the Shazer next.
1: This is the Black and Blue Report presented by Seatcake. Here's Daniel Salerson.
0: All right, now let's talk with John the Shazer, senior writer for New Orleans Saints.com, fresh Cincinnati after the Saints 51-14 win over the Cincinnati Bengals. J.D., uh, I didn't get the chance to watch a lot of the game due to the Pelicans traveling to Toronto, but pretty much after the first half, I don't know how much I really needed to watch after they after they were up 35 to seven.
2: Yeah, it was uh, it was the kind of domination you don't expect to see in the NFL. Uh, the Saints put one of these kind of games together last year in Buffalo when they won 47 to 10, but you don't expect to see again. You, you just don't expect to see this in the NFL. Not nowadays, even. I don't care what the, the specifics are in terms of rule changes and you know whether they lean to the offense or the defense. Or, it doesn't matter. I mean, everybody's playing the same rules, and a lot of these are elite athletes. And you just, I mean, I, I was pretty much, I guess, flabbergasted is a really good word because I, I didn't expect that. I did not expect that in a million years to see them basically come and, and boat race the Bengals on, on their field after, after a bye week for Cincinnati. And Cincinnati's a 5-3 and three team. That was scoring thirty points a game at home, uh, so no i i I was shocked and still am and am, am somewhat shocked, even though the Saints I think are playing better than anybody, but I was not expecting that.
0: what was surprising John Payne was worried about the early start. they've been used to playing three twenty five kickoffs and then they're traveling playing a noon game. He was pretty worried about the start of this game, and it seemed like there really was nothing to worry about.
2: Well, I mean, he was concerned because they've been playing you know evening games and night games prime time and and and, and you know. So how much of that was a genuine concern? Probably was, but I mean, you also, you know, you know, that coaches have to manufacture something to kind of, you know, be worried about too. And and that was one of those things where, you know, it might've been, Hey, we're playing a noon game and, you know, we're disrespected because we ain't playing the primetime game or we ain't playing a later game or, or, but you know, there could have been some genuine concerns in terms of guys getting the proper amount of rest. And I, and I can't understand that because again, they have been shifting so much, to play in, you know, the, the late afternoon game or the night game, that there probably was uh, some genuine concern whether or not these guys would be ready. But, I mean, you know, they, it looks like these guys have been able to really concentrate on the task at hand and not look too far ahead not look too far behind and not, you know, they've got the, you know, what they call the 24-hour rule. They celebrate the win and then they move on to the next one. And it looks like they've really done a, a good job of that.
0: J.D., I was really impressed with the offensive balance yesterday. 265 yards in the air, 244 yards uh, on the ground. I feel like that's definitely a winning combination for the Saints just because of the weapons they have in the backfield and also with number nine
2: at QB. Yeah, anytime you can balance it out. I mean, if the Saints are multidimensional, anytime you can do that, then they're going to be a handful because we know what Drew Brees can do and will do under most circumstances. So when they can run the ball and you can't pinpoint them down and you can't, Make them one-dimensional. You can't, you know, take away the run and force them to throw it, or you can't take away the pass and force them to run it. If you can't do either one of those things, then they're really gonna gonna punish you and, and make you pay for it. And that's what happened with the Bengals yesterday. Bengals came in now. Don't, don't get me wrong. The Bengals on the pace defensively to have the worst defense defensive showing in NFL history in a single season. They're gonna take that mantle away from the Saints. Uh, I think they've given away 500 plus yards in three consecutive games, and the game. Prior to that, they gave up like 487. So they have not been a good defense. But that said, you still got to go out there and do the work against them. And again, they were a team that had been playing well at home. But the, sh- the Saints just shredded them. I mean, it, it, was, it was something to watch because after the first, I guess, series or two, you know, you got the feeling you're sitting around and saying, you know what, I don't know if Cincinnati can stop them at all. And uh, it turned out to be that way, and, and and that's rare that you say that during an NFL game where you're saying, you know what, I just don't know if they can get a stop, and they never could get a stop. And it, it, it's it you know you see it, and it's almost like watching a, a college game. You know, a, 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 I keep calling them Division One. What is it? Football Bowl Championship? Football championship? What is it? <laughs> It's like watching Division One against Division Three. Let me say it that way. I think people understand that, <laughs> where a team just doesn't get off the field because you can't stop them. And it was that it was that kind of feeling.
0: Uh, we also have to talk about the offensive line, J.D., because I feel like we've been talking about them all season long, but how impressive they've been lately. Again, another, another game where Drew Brees was not sacked. I feel like we have to give a lot of credit to them based on what they've been able to do to protect number nine.
2: Well, they've been protecting them against some of the best Defensive linemen in the NFL, uh, you go to Minnesota, which has some fantastic guys along the defensive line, like Everson Griffin and, and Daniil Hunter. Uh, you go back to Baltimore. Baltimore's got Terrell Suggs and some other guys. Uh, you go to, to last week, uh, last week's game against the Rams, and there's Aaron Donnellan and Dominican Sioux. Uh, then yesterday in Cincinnati, that's Geno Atkins. Uh, and Carlos Dunlap, and they've been doing the job week in, week out. Not just protecting Drew Brees, but they've also been the the conduit to that running game, uh, to being so effective running the football. And it's, you know, this this offensive line, straight across the line. I think these guys are really worthy of some postseason honors. I don't know, you know, if you can send a whole offensive line to the Pro Bowl, but man, they've been they've been doing work. The only thing, obviously, you're concerned about Teron Armstead getting injured yesterday. Uh, we don't know the extent of that. We'll get a little bit more information on it as we get around later in the week. And and I say later in the week, Wednesday won't be a good day to get any information because Teron Armstead, Wednesday is a vet day for him. He doesn't practice on Wednesdays anyway. So let's not get uh, too out of pocket if he doesn't work out on, on Wednesday. But when it comes around to Thursday and Friday, if he's not on the practice field, then you know it was something that was a little bit more serious and significant than anything he's had prior – uh, other uh, earlier in this season because he's been able to work through you know the nicks and bruises and been playing the best football of his career and certainly that'll be a blow if he can't go at left tackle. But Jermon Bushrod is a former NFL starter for the New Orleans Saints at left tackle and he filled in well yesterday. So you know, but again, that's something to to, to look out for because you know Teron Armstead's playing at a Pro Bowl level. He's playing at an all forget Pro Bowl. He's playing at an All Pro level. And to not have him out there is obviously going to impact the offensive line. some.
0: JD, the Thomas Morstead had the easiest job in the NFL right now. No punts yesterday, just 19 on the season. They're actually on pace to break the record for fewest punts um, in a season. Does Thomas Morstead had the easiest job in the NFL right now.
2: Well, I think he, I, actually, I think he's disgruntled. He's, he's begging for more touches. I believe I, <laughs> I think he's, you know, <laughs> you know, a, a closed mouth, don't get punts or something like that. I don't, you know, he's, you know, he, that's the second time in the last five games where he's gone, a game, gone through a game without having to punt. And, um, man, it's, you know, you, again, that's something you don't expect to see in an NFL game. You just don't see it. <laughs> but, you know, he's, he's been able to, you know, when he does punt, he's, he's really effective. But, man, when the are clicking like that offensively, you know, that's stuff you just don't expect to see in the NFL where a punter doesn't, doesn't go punt. Now, you know, if you ask Morstan, he's going to say, hey, keep it like that every game. But uh, he's got a lot of pride in what he does. But right now, he's, he's sitting over there just collecting dust, man. I think he's he's the holder for Will Lutz. And other than that, you know, he had not been getting a whole lot of work at all.
0: I mean, I look. he looked pretty exhausted after the game. There's a picture of him napping. <laughs> yeah, that's a, his, yeah, that's a nice little
2: picture of him in a, it curled up in the locker.
0: Yeah, absolutely. Um, J.D., also we learned this morning that there's a new uh, uh, addition to the Saints roster. Of course, as Bryant went down with that Achilles injury at wide receiver, so the Saints – now uh, signing Brandon Marshall, the former Denver Bronco wide receiver, and uh, most recently with the Seattle Seahawks. What does Brandon Marshall add to the table, add to the team? I should say?
2: Well, he adds a big, huge target. I think Brandon Marshall's probably checking in at 215 to 220 or something like that. And I think Des Bryant was about 220, 220 pounds. Uh, so, you know, he gives you that big target. Uh, he's a guy who knows how to position himself well. He's a vet. And, again, he's a guy who gives you that offside for Michael Thomas. So Michael Thomas is going to draw extra attention. We know that already. People haven't been able to stop him. But he's going to draw that extra attention. So a guy like Brandon Marshall, if he lines up on the other side, and he's got one-on-one uh, with cornerbacks, so if he's got less attention than he's accustomed to having, because remember, Brandon Marshall, for several years in the NFL, was a number one receiver. So now he gets to slide down and be a number two receiver, which is going to take some pressure off him in terms of, you know, coverage. Uh, It should work out well for him. And, you know, and that's not just like, you know, Keith Kirkwood, who was called up yesterday and made a couple of catches for, uh, I think, 45 yards or so. Uh, And it's not just like um, Austin Carr, who's, you know, got really good hands and, and performs his duties well. But, I mean, the Saints are, you know, this is the Saints saying we can see the Super Bowl. And we feel like it's within grasp and we're going to do everything we can possibly do to give ourselves the best chance to get there. And so whether it was Des Bryant last week or if it's Brandon Marshall this week, or if it's bringing in another offensive lineman or another defensive lineman, whatever it takes, they're willing to go and do to see if they can put this team in position to get back to Atlanta In in February to play in the Super Bowl, and you know that's one of those things where you know fans are always saying, you know, is the team all in? Does the team care? Does the team you know are they willing? Are they willing to go the distance? The Saints are showing they're willing to go however far it takes to go to get there.
0: Yeah, they're certainly going all in. That's for sure. And now it continues with the Philadelphia Eagles. Before I let you go, one quick thought on them: they didn't look too good against the Cowboys last night. They fall to four and five. They're not looking like the defending champs. J.D., but uh, certainly another team to keep an eye out on when they invade the Mercedes-Benz Superdome on Sunday.
2: Yeah, they're still a good team, but, you know, what I always say about teams that win championships is the next season, every game they play is somebody else's playoff game. You know, whether it's the NBA, NFL, you know, baseball in a series, they're the top dogs. So everybody, that's the the goal. You know, now, yeah, you want to win your division. That's how you get in the playoffs. But the goal is, okay, what will it take to beat the team that won the Super Bowl. And now everybody's playing Philly that way. And I'm not saying Philly isn't ready for it, but everybody's raised their level of play just a little bit when they face off against them. So you wanna measure yourself against the champs. You wanna see what the champs have that you might not have had the season before or that you think you might have this year, because again, that's a team that won it. So you feel like, okay, if we can beat them, then we might be a team that's good enough to win it. So that's what Philly, I think, is facing this year. Uh, they there are no layups when you're the champs. I mean, nobody's going to lay down for you. So everything you get is going to be earned. I know they struggled early in the season when Carson Wentz wasn't that quarterback and they had uh, Nick Foles out there. But even now that Carson Wentz is back, they're still finding it really difficult to win because it's hard to win in the NFL. And it's hard to win when you're somebody's Super Bowl game or somebody's playoff game every week. When you're playing only 16 games, Teams can ramp themselves up for you every week in the NBA. You know, you're playing so many games that not everybody's going to play you like they're playing against a playoff team. You know, but when you're in the NFL, man, the games are spaced out enough to where each and every individual segment, folks are going to be looking at you, pointing at you, saying, "That's the Super Bowl champs. Let's see if we can take them out."
0: Yeah, and they're pretty banged up too at the secondary. Let's so tell or the Saints should they take advantage of the of that. On Sunday, J.D., I appreciate it as always. Hey, I think next week we'll actually be in the same studio. Pelicans will finally be. For chatting with you, versus, my friend.
2: Man, I tell you what, I'm, I'm looking forward. Now, I'm, I'm not I don't know if I'm looking forward to this weekend or not, because this is going to be, you know, four straight games. And I'm trying to remember if we've ever done that, like back to back Pelicans Friday, Saturday, St. Sunday, then Pelicans Monday. This is going to be a somewhat brutal stretch. Now, Of course, now I'm saying that and I'm, it's not like I'm actually playing a game. But, <laughs> but really? this is going to be a busy, busy weekend. So it, it's going to be fun though. It's going to be real fun.
0: Stay off the injury report, JD, and I'll talk to you soon.
2: I will do you too, my man.
0: And it's time to talk Pelicans now with our very own Jim. I of Pelicans.coms. Pelicans.com. He joins me here in his penthouse suite uh, in Toronto, Ontario. And Jim, I know you're kind of uh, from around this area or at least up uh, the greater upstate New York area. So, I feel like everywhere we go, people are asking you for autographs, high fives. Uh, you're just kind of an international phenomenon.
1: <laughs> yeah, um, well, you have a very vivid imagination, that's for sure. Um, yeah, uh, I think I'm a lot more familiar with Toronto than Toronto is with me. But, uh, mm. but, um, but yeah, it's 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 cool coming up here. Sometimes my family actually comes up and visit it, visits, but not this time. They're, my parents are actually in New Orleans right now, having a great time in the warmer weather. So. But, uh, you know, it's, it's always nice to come up here. It's about three- or four-hour drive from where I'm from.
0: Yeah, and it is a lot warmer down in New Orleans than it is up here. Um, but let's talk about, speaking of New Orleans, um, an impressive two-game uh, homestand and two wins against the Chicago Bulls and the Phoenix Suns. Now, granted, they were two teams that have struggled so far this season, Jim. And there wasn't really anything in my imagination that, or my thinking that popped out to me as far as those two wins. But nonetheless, you get two wins and you get back to 500.
1: Yeah, I think it was good, especially in the Phoenix game, to have a situation where you won pretty handily and it didn't come down to the last minute or so. They haven't had many wins in the last few weeks that have been decisive. So, really, the Bulls game wasn't, I wasn't really that concerned, to be honest, at any point of that game that they weren't going to be able to win it. But um, it's really, it had been a while since they won a game by a, a big margin. The last time they won by double digits was the second game of the season against Sacramento. When they won by 20, so that it, I was just happy to see them be able to just take care of business and not leave really any doubt in either of those games.
0: And here we are back on the road again, Jim. For two games, no easy games. I know Minnesota looks a little different without Jimmy Butler, but then you have Toronto with a 12 and run record in the best record in the NBA. So we'll get to Toronto in a second. But just a road trip in general. Now you gotta start finding some wins on the road. You're one in five so far this season.
1: Yeah, and. Really, it's been against some really good competition. They've played against, um, after tonight, it'll be five of the six best teams record-wise in the league. They've all played in their arena. The only team in that group that they haven't played is Milwaukee, who they play at their brand-new arena in December. So, But regardless of the competition, obviously, when as tough as it's been, you're not happy with being one in five, and you need to start picking up some of these road wins. And obviously – this trip, you're playing one a team that has the best record in the league, and you're playing against another team that is in a completely different situation. So we don't really know what to expect. But if you could pick up a couple wins this week, that would be huge going forward.
0: So looking through your notes and your observations on Toronto as you have in the last couple of days, why are they the best record? Why are they the best team in the NBA right now?
1: Um, I think their depth is definitely huge. I've really enjoyed watching them play. I've seen them play probably three or four times this year saw their game against the Lakers uh, what was it last weekend. I lose track of time, but um, they were, they just dominated and they were up 40 to 10 in the first quarter of that game. They're just, they play with tons of energy, tons of activity. And so that's, I think that's also another reason why they've been so good. They have players like Pascal Siakam, who's playing the best he's played in his career recently. The numbers that he's been putting up lately, I think for people who aren't familiar with him, if you look at the, that, you'd be impressed by what he's been doing. And, um, just from one through ten, they have a lot of good players, just the way it was, same way it was last year. But I think another thing that impresses me about them is, you know, obviously they had DeMar DeRozan here for a bunch of years. This year, Kawhi Leonard has stepped into that spot. But even in the games when he hasn't played, the Raptors have still been really good. And of the f- six-game winning streak that they have that they're taking into tonight's game, they've won every game by at least nine points, and a bunch of those were on a road trip. I think they went four and oh on a west coast trip somebody was telling me earlier that that was the first west coast trip that they've gone undefeated in team history so they just have everything you know going in the right direction and they're, they're just playing really well right now
0: and for those who don't know pascal siakam just go back to that preseason game that toronto had against the pelicans and you'll find out who he is but of course kawhi leonard out of the mix is certainly a big factor jim so what is it going to take tonight for the pelicans the, the beta team that is 12
1: and 1 and Um, hasn't lost a home yet. One of the biggest keys that Alvin Gentry talked about, and it feels like this has been a reoccurring theme lately, especially with Alfred Payton still out and not having the guy that you expected to start at point guard, but the turnovers, the Raptors are one of the best teams in the league at causing turnovers and capitalizing on them. They're also one of the best teams stat-wise, and I think fast break points. So you really have to be careful with the ball. The Pelicans actually did somewhat get away with being a little sloppy in the last two games. Turnover wise, but um, I think if they do that tonight, I think they had eighteen in, them in the last game against Phoenix. If they do that tonight, they're gonna be in big trouble. It's not gonna be able it's not gonna be realistic that they'll be able to win the game if they come close to twenty turnovers against the Raptors. It seems like Alfred Payne will not play
0: again tonight for the Pelicans, as Alvin Gentry said at shoot around that um still listed as questionable, but unless something miraculous happens, I think he'll set out another game. The good news is he thinks Nico Lamiritic will play. Nico said at shoot around that he still wants to wait and see and get treatment. Um, it's still a little bit sore, but obviously the swelling has gotten down a lot. Obviously you miss Alfred Payne, but having Nico back will be huge, especially against a, a big team like Toronto.
1: Yeah, it really will, and I think th- this matchup is really interesting to me with some of the different guys that the Raptors have in their front court where they're able to really go small and athletic. I, I think with Siakam and you know guys like Ananobi, who's maybe, maybe more of a wing, but... Um, players like that Serge Ibaka is off to a good start it'll be really interesting to see how the Pelicans match up with the Raptors defensively and also on the other end of the court there's just a lot of talent for both of these teams and there's a lot of talent in the Pelicans
0: front court as well and a lot of that has to do right now with Julius Randle, Jim who did come into the starting lineup with the absence of Miritich against the Phoenix Suns but he's been playing really well not only in that starting lineup against Phoenix but off the bench this season
1: yeah we asked him the other day about uh if he has a chance to maybe be in the sixth man of the year running. I'm not sure if he had thought about it a ton, although he did say that he had told Lou Williams that he's coming for his trophy, that his, he, he played with Lou Williams with the Lakers. So he's been, he's been great offensively. I think one of the things I like the most about Julius so far is his, his ability to put his head down and just get to the basket and get easy hoops that way. He's shooting 56% from the floor, even though he's taken more threes than he had the last few years. His shooting percentage overall is great. I mean, you take that for sure all year if he can stay at that level. And he had a recent stretch where he was almost shooting 90% on two-point two, two point shots. So he's been really positive, really helpful either way, either in situations twice he's had to start and he's been really good or in the other games where he's come off the bench.
0: We're starting to see a bigger sample size with Wesley Johnson in the starting lineup at the three. What have you liked about his four, last four games here with the Pelicans?
1: just like Julius Randle, I mean obviously not as high volume but he's been very efficient offensively. He's shooting 52% from the field on the season and I know that he started out kind of slow. <clears throat> Excuse me, his first couple games he didn't shoot well. So he's been really good, you know, especially lately. And obviously he gives them a, a a guy defensively who can match up with a lot of different players. So he's been I think he's just been a really good fit. He's kind of been exactly what they needed at that that three spot, especially in situations lately where they've played against some teams that have bigger lineups, and it makes more sense to have Wesley Johnson defensively at the three maybe than it does Etuan Moore, even though he's done a good job as well the last year-plus when Etuan's played small forward.
0: And speaking of Etuan Moore, I don't think anyone really wants to talk about or hasn't talked about Etuan Moore. I want to talk about him because he's been silently—I call him the silent assassin— Um just, just been probably one of the most consistent guys we've seen so far for New Orleans.
1: Yeah, I keep going back to field goal percentage because I think it's really important and really interesting for certain guys. But I remember last year he was really efficient. He shot from the field really well, even though, as I've tweeted before, he doesn't get a lot of layups and dunks. So it's not easy for a guard to shoot 50% from the field if he's not getting to the rim all the time. Etuan has a lot of jumpers, obviously, and floaters. seems like he's getting to be one of the best players in the league at the mid-range floater game but he's at 54% from the field so he's even gone up from what he did last year where i thought he was really impressive offensively his ability to consistently have games where he's not getting 20 shots but he might go you know 7 for 10 from the field score 17 points or whatever um we've seen the same thing that he did a lot of last year
0: Before I let you go, let's talk about the week ahead a little bit. We already mentioned Toronto. We've talked a little bit about Minnesota with the absence of Jimmy Butler. I don't even know if that trade will go through by Wednesday. I don't think it's gone official yet because Butler will not play with the 76ers tonight. And um, the Minnesota Timberwolves are shorthanded as far as their guys are concerned as well. But then you have on Friday the Knicks. You have Saturday Denver Nuggets. And I know the San Antonio Spurs are on Monday, so that will be a different show. But you have four games this week. It's a pretty big week for New Orleans.
1: Yeah, it is. I think the Knicks really fit, honestly, into the same category of what we saw on the last homestand of Chicago and Phoenix, where they're really not playing for 2018-19. They know that their best years, theoretically, will be down the road. They're playing a bunch of young players. So, really, that's a game that you need to take care of. I know one of the frustrating games from last season was losing to the Knicks In New Orleans when they were in a similar predicament roster-wise New York in terms of you know just a mismatch of guys and people injured and that kind of thing but then you have Denver who has gotten off to a great start this year although they've lost three in a row so it does seem like they've kind of come back down to earth a little bit losing some close games and losing against good teams but that'll be another really good test and you know that would that would definitely be just like tonight I think against Toronto if you can win that game that's something that is a real positive
0: He's Jim Ikenoffer from Pelicans.com. We'll have more shoot-around, or we'll have more before the game in our pregame update. Of course, look out for the road trip previews from Minneapolis tomorrow. Jim, stay out of trouble here in Toronto. We want to make sure you get back into the U.S. after tonight's game.
1: (laughs) Well, you know, the one thing that keeps me out of trouble, which actually you should be a little bit concerned about, it's not as cold today as it usually is. That usually keeps me off the streets when it's 15 or 20 degrees. But I'd say right now it might be about 40, which for here is like – Incredible for mid November. So um, I can't promise anything, but I'll try to do my best to avoid any international incidents. And that way I'll be able to make the trip to Minneapolis.
0: All right. I see some people sunbathing outside. So it must be pretty (laughs) warm out here when it's over 40 degrees. And I'll do it for today's podcast. Of course, big thanks to John the Shazer, Jim Eikenhofer, Mario Jerez from our studios in New Orleans. We hope you enjoy this week. Of course, Sean Kelly will have Wednesday's Black and Blue report from Minneapolis as the Pelicans will take on the Timberwolves and they'll get you ready for Saints and Eagles on Sunday. And, of course, I'll be back at it on Monday with a black and blue report from Studio B as finally the Pelicans will be home on Monday. It's a busy week for New Orleans. As I mentioned, Friday and Saturday, Pelicans games. Sunday, Saints-Eagles, and Monday, Pelicans-Spurs. So buckle up, Saints and Pelicans fans. It should be an exciting week, and hopefully we'll see some wins along the way. Until next Monday for me, and until Wednesday for you, I'm Daniel Sowersen. Thanks for listening to the Black and Blue Report presented by CT.